Good day. This is Michael Wardy, Certified Financial Planner and Regional Director at Source HOV Tax. Thank you for listening to the only dedicated tax incentives podcast available. The goal for these podcasts is to deliver information that can be useful and applicable to your business. We interview experts in their field to talk specifically about their specialty and give some thoughts, insight, stories, and when they can, advice on how to best approach a project. Normally, these these uh, podcasts are all about tax incentives, um, but I decided, and if you listen to the teaser podcast that we launched, um, you know that we're doing something a little bit different. We are launching a five-part series um, with Brad David and David Jones, CEO and CIO of Iron Grid. This, this series is all about protecting ourselves from hackers, ransomware, phishing, and everything that we're struggling with pretty much on a daily basis with regards to technology and people trying to steal our identity. So I was, I'm glad and I feel uh, fortunate for our listeners that we have Brad and David joining us. Gentlemen, thank you for joining us. Thank, thank you, Mike. We appreciate it. You know, can we just take a couple of minutes before we get into this episode um, and can you walk us through Iron Grid and who you guys are? Just because as um, people listen to the, the next four after this one, but I want them to understand who you guys are and why it's so important for companies like yours to be in existence. Yeah, sure thing. So uh, we're an MSP. The acronym is Managed Service Provider. And, um, you know, we're outsourced IT is what a lot of people think of us as. Uh, if you're a large organization or you work in a large organization, you probably have your own IT department. Uh, if you're medium or small business or, or even the large ones need help from MSPs from time to time. So that's the business we're in. It's soup to nuts, IT department, um, email hosting, cloud backups, uh, remote service desk, uh, all those good things. and uh, so that's that's why we like to talk about the basic safeguards uh, against ransomware and uh, with a little bit of an ounce of prevention, we call it, uh, it can really help in the case of ransomware uh, and in the case of restoring from an event. So, yeah, that's that's kind of what we do. Great. And I know um, that I, our company here at Source HLV Tax, we have departments a large department that focuses on our technology and IT, but really for you guys and the value that bring that you guys bring, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's that small to mid-sized business where they have systems set up, but they don't have the departments that can support it and you know full-time groups of employees that can support their technology. So I, I know from talking with you guys um, before this podcast, it's it's important. It's unbelievable. And in what the, some of the conversations that we've had, I've actually learned a lot about what's going on with the hacker, with hackers and with, uh, and we'll get right into this, um, with ransomware. Um, it's frustrating. Anybody that yeah. has an email address knows that, or even if they're logging in, into any system and putting in a password, it's frustrating. Um, because you just want to get your information and not be bothered with a bunch of people trying to steal your identity. And it ends up being that 
you're spending a lot of time changing passwords and doing all that fun stuff. But before I go on about that, can you walk us through, and, and again, the focus of today is about ransomware. Can you walk us through what exactly ransomware is and why should people be concerned? Okay, yeah, sure. Um, well, you know, ransomware is typically viewed, for those that know much about it, uh, or that watch the news, you know, at six o'clock in the evening when they get home, um, you know, it's kind of viewed as a virus. And maybe in the beginning, it more or less was, but now you can think of it as, as even as a person or, or even as a tool uh, that a quote unquote bad guy you know, might use. Uh, and what they do with it is they penetrate your system one way or another, uh, whether it's through a, you know, a phishing email or, uh, you know, they, they somehow get you to install some software that lets them into your system. Uh, one way or another, they get in, uh, and sometimes it's automated, and sometimes there's manual work on their part. Um, but they identify, uh, you know, what you would consider to be valuable information. You can imagine what that would be. If you're a home user, anywhere from family photos to your personal tax returns for the past 15 years, uh, you know, businesses, it's a lot more than that, obviously. You know, you've got client data, um, you know, anything you use to operate your business. Um, they take that information and they encrypt it. Uh, and uh, they hold it for ransom. They make a ransom demand. Um, and, uh, you know, they... They tell you if you if you want your data back, then you have to pay them this usually a large amount of money, and then they'll give you the key uh, to unlock or de-encrypt, unencrypt your uh, your data and get you back up to where you were. Um, that's that's it in a nutshell. Do they do they actually follow through? So they do. Um, in most most cases, they do. They and and it's. You know, you can say it's because of ethics or whatever you want to call it. We know it's not true, but, but you know, they, they, they know that they have to because if, if, if they don't follow through, the word gets out and people stop paying the ransom. So, you know, in most cases, people that pay, they do get the key and, and they get access back into their data. Um, that, that's, that's the way it works. That's amazing. It's truly amazing. So if I... It's all stuff that's kept on my on my laptop, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and it, and it could be even you know if if you say okay, well my data's in the cloud, or you know my data's on my company server and I'm working from home, that's great. Um, but the thing to remember is is that if you have access to that data, uh, you know, and they're in your system one way or another, uh, then they have access to it more than likely as, as well. Okay. So, okay. So that brings me up to, uh, I have another question related to that. And maybe this is for um, one of the future podcasts that we do. You know, when you log into your computer at, um, at Starbucks or, you know, Panera, wherever they have the, uh, the free Wi-Fi, and it has that little message saying that others could be looking at your, um, your information. Is that how they're doing it when they deal with ransomware? 
They, they, they could. I've never seen or heard of an attack being launched in that way, uh, depending on what you're accessing. Um, yeah, there's, there's the possibility of someone intercepting uh, your internet requests and, uh, you know, sending you somewhere else when you think you're logging on to your bank or logging on to Facebook. You know, they direct you somewhere else that, that tricks you into think you're going to Facebook or your bank or wherever. Uh, and in reality, you're going to a system that they control. Uh, and it may very well be the person sitting right beside you, drinking coffee and, you know, smiling at you. <laughs> uh -huh. Yeah. So in that case, it's more important not that to be worried about the connection Starbucks gives you, but that the Wi-Fi you're connecting to is, in fact, the one put out by Starbucks and not someone with a wireless uh, hot, uh, you know, generator right beside you. So um, anybody can walk in a Starbucks, generate Wi-Fi signal, and call it Starbucks 01 or you know something like that. So that's the concern when you're out and about. But no, the, the ransomware stuff is mostly uh, comes in through email and email phishing because that's just the easiest path for those guys to to get in. So that, that's the number one uh, vector of attack. That's the number one place for entry. Okay. So I, I, I've read articles and I see that there's, I feel like sometimes there's dozens of safeguards that they recommend. You are to yeah. prioritize. Just to give our listeners kind of the top five activities. Right. And re really, what should we be doing every whether it's every time, every day, or however, but what are the top five things that we can do to protect ourselves? Yeah, and so um, the five basic elements, and we have those here, the, the good news is, well, the bad news and the good news is the same, that a lot of networks and a lot of organizations don't have these five safeguards. So you can imagine that, um, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to scan the internet, find some vulnerabilities and attack, or send out a thousand phishing emails and have credentials in a couple minutes and attack those. So having these five safeguards puts you in a whole nother uh, element. And, and I'll give a quick analogy and then I'll, I'll step through these five. You know, imagine a thief is walking through the neighborhood, your neighborhood, they're probably not going to break into your house or, or, you know, if you have uh, a burglar alarm, the doors are locked, you know, some kind of uh, motion sensor inside you know it, it's not worth the effort for those guys if every other house in your neighborhood has open doors open locks no one at home that's kind of the landscape uh, for those guys right now so I, I really want to emphasize that the safeguards go a long way in reducing the risk um, just because of the climate um, so yeah Okay, so the, the five items uh, that we've identified and, and the good news is they're pretty inexpensive uh, also, it's the five first five things that a good IT company is going to do and, and um, you know, that your in-house group would do. The first thing is email security filters. So 90%, really higher than 90% of successful ransomware comes in through email. So you really want a good email filter to just make it a non-event. Don't let the attack land in the inboxes. And so uh, that's that's kind of the number one thing. What do you mean by that? What do you mean by having a good email filter? Again, I'm thinking of the 
average person, not the average person, but the, the individual that they have a business, um, they're running their business, it's, it's successful, they're not so much thinking about you know, email protection. What type right. of, what would we be looking at? So, you know, if you go out to and get a free email address somewhere, in some situations they got better filters than others, but it, I'll just give you some averages. 40% of the email sent to an email address, and if you're a targeted email address, it can be up to 80% or higher, does not even reach your inbox and does not even reach your filter, your spam folder. It's completely blocked because it's known phishing attempts. It has a known virus attached or something like that. Um, but the, you know what the bad guys are doing, they're spending all their time trying to get through these filters and, and so it's really easy to get through like a, um, you know, a, a free email filter or, or one that's not that great. Um, a couple of dollars a month per email address uh, can get you a good uh, security filter. So what about, and, what, what about like Google? Google has a very good, Google actually has a very good filter, right? Yeah. Um, and, and that's true of even the personal even the personal emails, okay? Um, the the only difference there is, uh, and we can, I don't mean to jump ahead too far here, but um, you know, who, who is who is maintaining that on your behalf, right? Do you know that you have some people in your corner that are actively monitoring and, and preventing these attempts, right? Um, or is it just a massive security blanket Put across all these home users so the 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 personal protection that they give you with with with, with gmail uh it is it is it is very good uh, but if you need to make minor adjustments to it if you want to uh block out certain sources whether it be you know geographic sources or whatever um you don't have the, any of those controls so you cannot put additional safeguards in place uh, that you can with a uh, enterprise grade filter. Okay. And so, if if an organization um, came to us, and we have we have several under our care, that you know their business domain is hosted through G Suite. Now, now don't don't think of this as Gmail. That's the free service for residential. But G Suite, um, you know, in that case, we could put a security filter ahead of that. That. Um, but and leave the email where it is. But it or we could just manage the G the G Suite filter um, the way it is, whitelist and blacklist. But I mean the the reason these guys and and yeah G, G Suite is good. Um, but then there are others out there who the the only thing they do is email security filters. And they have the, they see millions of emails a day. They see a lot of attacks. They have the database of what the the attacks look like. Um, so if there's an attack on Tuesday and there's another attack on Wednesday, those guys have pretty much identified what that looks like and they're going to block it on Wednesday. You see what you see? Yeah. Um, that this just agencies uh, that, that kind of specialize in that sort of thing. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So, yeah. Email. That's, that's the big thing. And that's just the, your IT staff can do that. You don't even let it land in the inbox. That's, you know, non-event is the way I like to call it. But so then um, 
but they're constantly trying to get through those filters and it's an arms race either you have the latest or you're getting shot at emailed at <laughs> by the latest and so 10% of the phishing emails actually slip through the filters um, I'm gonna say a lot less slip through the, the professional yes, security yeah, filters yes. but on average across the economy a fair amount slips through so really the second thing is end-user training how do you identify a phishing attempt what do you look for um, and you got to be on on the lookout for these things and, and so this is a big push in corporate America right now to train every single end user uh, what it looks like um, phishing simulations are sent out and we'll talk about that next time um, and, and that helps with the training so that the two of the five are email related so you know that's the prevention side of it some of the others um, you know a big one is password management and not reusing passwords um, it's hard that's really hard to do it is and and everyone has hundreds of passwords and to say that every single one has to be different is is a tall ask right um, but there are password managers that can help with that um, and you can lock down those systems really well uh, there's two-factor authentication that can help a lot with anything that's highly valuable your bank login your Amazon login your Facebook so um, you know there's there's definitely some good practice there where it doesn't have to be so painful to you know you don't have to have 10 pages under your desk of all your passwords uh, and you shouldn't do that by the way <laughs> it's a bad idea <laughs> um, yeah so but password and that's important so um, we can talk through that but um, the gist of the fact is if a large agency has a breach um, like LinkedIn or um, you know Netflix or whoever you, you have no control over that the breach happened well then the passwords could be obtained in that in that breach and if you're reusing them um, you know they're going to go to amazon.com and try to log in with your password and they're going to go to bankofamerica.com so it, it's really important and, and it, um, it it's kind of a shocker to everyone of, of how important it is when, when you first start broaching the topic um, how often how often should a password be changed i know mm -hmm. for intern for our corporation um at source hov i think we change it i don't know how often i'm changing it um, but I, I find myself changing it quite a bit, not just at, here at the at source HOV tax, but also with other email addresses or other websites that I go to that I have my email and my password. I'm changing it quite often more because I'm nervous. I'm nervous about keeping the same password saved and right. for a long, for an extended period of time. How so, am I overthinking this? Well, there, there are two, there are two opinions here uh, among, you know, cybersecurity professionals. Um, you know, the old train of thought was change your password every three months, every 90 days, change your password. But, um, you know, here recently, what the industry has been seeing or realizing took us a long time is that if we make users change passwords every three months, 
they're normally just changing one or two letters or adding one or two letters or numbers to the password they had before, right? So you, it's difficult to enforce um, uh, passwords of a different level, I guess, is, is the way you'd say that. Yeah. So they're writing it down, right? Well, yeah, there, 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 there's that too. There's that too. So the kind of the new, the new way of thinking is don't change it, you know, unless you absolutely need to or make it a yearly thing or however you want to make it. As long as your passwords are all different and as long as they are super complex. And, and the only way you can get away with doing that is if you use some kind of a password management application or tools. So I'm talking, you know, 26 characters, an entire mixture of letters and numbers, uppercase and lowercase letters, special characters, you know, uh, dollar sign, pound sign. Yeah, and you never remember these. That's why you yeah. need the manager. Yeah. And so you can't, yeah, you can't remember that, right? But what you wind up with is you wind up with all of your different accounts. Um, you know, you wind up with a password that's different for each one of them and right. a password that somebody can't guess. And and so when you have that strong of a password that would take, you know, who knows how long an eternity to, to try to do a brute force attack where they just simply guess every single letter or character, um, you know, that's, that's, not, that's, that's not gonna happen. And by doing that, the, the need to change a password just isn't really there unless you have some evidence or indication that it should be changed, whether it's a breach or, 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 or some other kind of notice that would make you change it. And the password manager helps you in those cases too. And so a lot of them keep up with the breaches and, and tell you where they are. But yeah, I mean the brute force stuff, some people say, well, who's trying to guess my password with brute force? It, it's happening. I mean, it's out there. We have some checks on on systems and we, we've locked them down um, all now, but sometimes we pick up a new client at 40,000 hacker attempts per day. Um, if you don't have controls and some way to block. So, you know, that's what your IT department would see and then all of a sudden block that IP address or block that country. So, um, believe me, those <laughs> those attempts are being had and, and in a lot of cases uh, are getting through. So, but yeah, the, we've got some things on our website and we'll talk through those of how you can, you can test out what is the strength of your password Am I, have I been involved with a breach, a known breach of a large agency? So uh, we've got some tools uh, that we can look at uh, when we get to that section for sure. Perfect. Per I did cheat and I did go on your website and I saw that one, uh, <laughs> that one link. Yeah. It, it's, it's amazing. Um, yeah, I think we, it's helpful. Everyone uh, has some pos positive feedback on that, so. Yeah, and, and as it turns out, password one, two, three, because I tested <laughs> I was just curious awesome. if that is really a bad one. Yeah, it is. I knew yeah, it. Well, I knew it was. Yeah, they they hack that and they uh, break that brute force in three milliseconds. Was that yeah. you? <laughs> As you're typing it in, they're breaking it. So, all right. So we covered a couple of them: password management, yeah. phishing, and email. What other ones? Um, so the fourth one is an intrusion detection system or an endpoint detection and response system. Uh, these are things going on a lot of systems these days, especially through corporate large organizations. And uh, in that case, it detects a breach. It, it detects entry and intrusion to your network. Uh, so, you know, what a, a, 
a lot of people may not realize is when someone gets into the network, let's say someone clicks on something they shouldn't, it gives someone entry. The bad guys have entry into the network. They may be there for several weeks, uh, in some cases, several months, while they look around the entire system uh, and try to find the valuable uh, information. And then the day they encrypt it, you know, it turns out they've been in there uh, for quite a while. So that behavior is detectable. And uh, that's what these detection systems are doing. And, and you can think of it like motion detection sensors uh, or forensic accounting. That's a good way to think of it. Their behavior is very different from an average user and uh, it is detectable. So that's a big hot thing uh, out there now. And uh, a lot of people are uh, installing those. Uh, the last one, we saved the best for last. And, and you might think that, hey, this is really simple. Uh, but it's a backup and disaster recovery. I, I thought you were going to say going back to paper and pencil, but okay. <laughs> yeah, no, we actually don't advocate that. But, uh, <laughs> so it, it, with these safeguards, it goes a long way. And, and this is this. If you say, "Hey, what's the one thing I should do?" Um, we actually wouldn't say prevention methods. We would say restoration methods, and that's the backup and disaster recovery. So. Um, the things you see on the news of people who paid the ransom or who, you know, um, they're down for weeks or months because they didn't pay the ransom or those things, they didn't, they probably had a backup. I've given you an average situation. They probably had a backup, but they didn't implement it uh, in a way um, that can handle the ransomware or they can restore quickly from ransomware. And so we're going to talk, not all backups um, are created equal. And we're going to talk through the subtle details there so that when it, if your regular data is encrypted, your live data, it doesn't also encrypt your backup and leave you empty handed. So, um, you know, there, there are definite things you can do to restore very quickly um, an operating system. And there are things that um, you can do to keep the encryption from from getting to your backup. So that that's the the biggest. So. Um, you know, you don't want to miss that one if, if you catch any of those. Uh, we say the best for last there. That was good. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> yes, yes. Um, okay, so I want to touch back on uh, the whole email filter thing. Yeah. How do you make And I, you, I know you touched on it a little bit, but just making ransomware just a non-event, I mean, I just... Beautiful. I think, Beautiful. I think about the I think about the amount of time that you can end up spending dealing with it. Yeah, it's a nightmare. It's an absolute yeah. nightmare. So these little steps that you're talking about, while it may seem to be a headache, it's a fraction of the headache by not doing it. Agreed. Yes. And the, and yes, the email filters they're a big thing. I mean. Um, so the way that, you know, they're going to block anything that um, is known malicious, okay? But in cases where it sees a couple red flags, and it's going to automatically run an algorithm and check those things, um, it's going to quarantine those and let the user decide. So, so actually, clients under our care, each, uh, if they're hosted on our email system, and, and most are, they get an email every day of a quarantine, every single user. If there's nothing in the quarantine, that's fine. But if it's seen some red flags, but it's not a known bad actor, 
it's going to put it in the quarantine and let you decide. Let each user decide for themselves. Do they want to release it? Is this legitimate? And in most cases, it's not legitimate. But occasionally, there, you know, you got a friend uh, traveling overseas, or you have one particular client that you know has a um, whatever the case may be, a, a, a domain that's that's not um, very well known or, or given a high score. Um, all email has a score, and um, that's kind of what these filters are doing or, or looking through that. So yeah, the the, the quarantine is, is a big deal. You can release it yourself. You can request that your IT department whitelist um, certain email addresses or, or areas. You can you can block certain countries or domains. And, and certainly, if you've had a, a phishing incident, um, you know you can report those to agencies that, that keep track. Uh, so yeah, the the filters. That's the number one thing. Um, yeah, unfortunately, it's it, it's not a uh, it's not a set it and forget it solution. Yeah, right. You can't just you can't right. you can't turn it on and walk away. Uh, and the reason you can't do that is because you know these attackers, you know, they change their methods all the time because they try to circumvent all of these uh, security systems, all these email filters that are put in place. So you have to have someone that's on constant alert and making constant minor adjustments and watching the, you know, the entire internet for any outbreaks or any type of new uh, attempts, you know, they'll, they'll take and, and they'll change uh, certain words uh, or they'll start launching attacks from uh, different places in the world. Um, you know, once, once an email gets sent out, and say it gets sent out to 100,000 recipients, and that, that email is a phishing attempt, um, you know, it may get through uh, some of the different filters, uh, but it, you know, it's quickly caught on that, that this, is, this is not a legitimate message, you know, we need to block this. Well, they'll, you know, they'll update their system to catch that email, right? And any emails that are similar to that. Um, because the these attackers, when they do these broad attacks, they they don't put a lot of time to make anything very unique, right? right? They're they it's kind of like a, it's a shotgun attack, you know. They 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 you know scatter, uh, and you know it doesn't cost them any more to send a hundred thousand emails than it does to send one email. So if they send a hundred thousand messages and they get they get two victims out of it, well, it's an immediate payoff for them, but you have to have someone that's watching for, for, for those attacks and to be able to block them, to keep them from getting into your system. Yeah, I, I had uh, explained it recently to someone that you don't want the heart, you don't want the person taking your blood pressure to do your heart surgery. <laughs> and I'm gonna say the heart surgeon in this analogy is the email security uh, professional. So yeah. um, we, we, you want someone who's a specialist in that area for this really important prevention method. Yeah, as I'm listening to this and we've had our previous conversations, it's just, it's truly amazing that we have this whole new world that is that we have to deal with. And it's a world where we don't know who it is that's attacking us or where they are. Right. And it's, 
a tough area. Yeah, and, and a lot of it has cropped up in the last few years, and, and ransomware has gotten, I think I've heard that it's up 118% from last year. And you can watch the news and, and see that. I mean, they, I think they've long since targeted, um, I'm certain of it, small business and, and corporate uh, organizations, medium-sized business. But lately, the, one, especially the ones that get on the news are the local government especially here in the U.S. Um, right. And so, um, yeah, it's, it, it's bad stuff. And it's, it's across all industries. Uh, I think the financial industry is, is attacked a little more. Um, but no industry is, I mean, as David said, you, you can add another thousand emails and send it to another <laughs> yeah. company. It, that's very easy. And that's what they do. And it used to be, you know, it, it, it's it's changing because it, it used to be that these attackers were looking to steal your information, right, and sell it on the black market, whether yeah. it's social social security numbers, credit card numbers, whatever it is. They figured out they don't have to even do that. They just have to grab it, hold it for ransom, you know, and, and just deal with one person, that being you, the owner of the data. Um, that's a lot simpler and, and easier for them to do that. Yeah. And it, and you know, so when that started happening, it kind of put everyone in a, in a predicament because both the bad guys and the good guys had to determine how much is my data worth? How much is day-to-day -day use of my computers? And, and in a lot of cases, what happened, uh, the bad guys undervalued it. They, you've seen, especially if you go back and look at a lot of the case studies of the original ones, the first few that hit the mainstream, the ransom demands were often $50,000, $20,000. And in a lot of those cases, and even some recent cases, um, they said, no, uh, we're not going to pay that, the owner, the organization. And then they go out to restore without it. And I guess don't have backups and don't, you know, may not have email and, and things to back up data. So, and that cost is millions. So, you know, how much is it worth for a, a city in, in the U.S. or any any other country, you know, to have their data and have their system working and, and, and to, to say, okay, we're going to wipe it clean, we're going to start over. How much does that cost? Nobody really knows except now, fast forward, we have all these case studies. Um, and there are multiple situations where it was um, tens of thousands of dollars for the ransom, millions to restore without it. So um, I think since those days and, and more recent, it, uh, the ransom demand, I've heard statistics that it's 10% of the downtime cost and even less of a percentage of the total cost of ransom uh, restoration. Cause you know, you got downtime costs, you got restoration costs. Um, so it's, it's, um, it's really bad stuff. Well, I wish we didn't have to deal with it <laughs> to tell you the truth, but uh, we do. And so, and it's our job. And so we do. Well, thank goodness. Thank, I mean, thank goodness that you guys are around. Not thank yeah. for the other side. And, and there's a big community around that, but it, it, a lot of, a lot of CPAs and a lot of businesses, you know, it, and, and I get it. You do, you want to go do your job day to day and not have to worry about these other things. But at, at some point, uh, especially with cybersecurity, um, 
people need to lift their head up and look around and, and, and go get a few of these safeguards. Wow. Yeah. Well, thank you guys. Anything else you want to add before we wrap up? I want to make sure that there's any. Hey, I was thinking, I was thinking it's up to you, Michael, but we could send uh, to, next week's topic is uh, training for fishing training. Okay. Yes. For the it slipped through the filter and, and, you know, nobody wants to be the one who clicked on it. That that's a really bad position to be. <laughs> and so the simulations and the training, they help with that. Uh, we'd like to send a simulation to, um, you know, with your permission to your personal uh, email address and just let you take a look at it, let you see, um, you know, what a simulation looks like and, and get, get a flavor. Are you, are you up for that? Sure, absolutely. Sounds good. Yeah, I'll give you my email, my personal email address offline. Um, <laughs> Great. Yeah, we'll do that and, and we'll talk through all the, all the aspects of phishing, which is uh, phishing is, is much more than spam. And I think most people, I'm certain that most people have not seen a targeted phishing attack. I think everyone has seen these lame, low skill attacks that, that probably yield results, but a targeted attack on a certain person or a certain organization, most people have not seen how crisp and, um, you know, really accurate uh, those things uh, can look like. Sure. They're really good at spoofing those. So yeah, we'll we'll do that and we'll talk through those ins and outs next time. Okay, perfect. And just one other thing, guys. If somebody, if one of our audience members wants to learn more about Iron Grid, where do they find you guys? What's your website? Yeah, sure. So we're Iron Grid Networks. Uh, we're in northeast of Atlanta in the U.S., uh, Georgia. And so irongrid.net is our web address. Uh, you can go on there and find out a little bit about us. Uh, we're not we're not experts in cybersecurity, but we know the basics, and we're in the trenches every day, uh, installing those basics and maintaining those basics. And uh, like I say, they go a long way. So irongrid.net, uh, you can set an appointment there or contact us, and uh, find out more about what we have. Perfect. Well, thank you again, and we look forward to the next episode, which will be launched shortly after this one. Uh, and thank you to the audience and our subscribers for joining us. As I always say, please make sure that you continue to subscribe and let anybody else know that they should be subscribing to this so that they can up, uh, receive updates on the next uh, podcast as, as they're released. Thank you again.